The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. So for the past several weeks, we've been going through a series of words that point us to what the church is designed for. So we started off, we had worship, uh, giving God glory through our lives, a life of surrender, that our true act of worship is a life devoted to him. Um, and then we looked at fellowship and that, that there is a divine bond that we come together that is greater than what the world understands. And that in that fellowship, uh, Christ is revealed and that we see him in that. Uh, we talked about discipleship and what does it mean for us to be a lifelong journeyer, a lifelong walker with God um, in growing faithfully and continually. Uh, and then we talked about evangelism and what does it mean for us uh, to be a witness to the good news that Jesus Christ is uh, the Savior of the world. And then we looked at, uh, uh, and then there was last week with Brad, and Brad talked to us a little bit more about what does it look like for a church to follow after Jesus, uh, to walk in his ways. And then today, um, we're going to take a look at, as you guys already know, unity. And, uh, and then from here, from after unity, then we're going to talk about uh, stewardship, and then we're going to get into a new sermon series. And that sermon series uh, we've been praying about, and we really feel that God's laid it on our hearts to do a small series on the power of reconciliation to unlock revival. So be praying for that. That's going to be the month of November, is the power of reconciliation to unlock revival in a church. Uh, something for us to be praying for and preparing our hearts for. So today we're talking about unity. Uh, last week I was up in Edmonton, and I was at my, uh, my niece's birthday party. She turned two, and it was really cute. And it was, um, I also went and met up with um, the church that I used to pastor at, and it was really good to connect with them. It was also good to connect with a bunch of people that all cheer for the correct teams, um, there was unity there in the right values of which teams you're supposed to cheer for. So that was fun. Um, and then the funny part was I, I took the bus up because my car is broken down. Um, and so I donated, I've donated my car to Youth for Christ. They have like an auto body shop here in the city where they repair cars and then sell them. And I, my car had just, it was, I was done with it. And so I had to give it up. Um, and donate it. So I take the bus up. So if any of you um, are giving away a car or selling a car or know of anyone, just let me know, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Um, I was chatting with my sister, and she's got a Honda Fit, and I was like, I really like those cars. But see, the thing is, is I'm a bit of a spiritual person, and so I wanted to base my, my purchase off of biblical values um, and biblical cars, because as we all know, in Acts 21, um, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together and they were all in one accord. So I think I should probably get myself. Sorry. When I, it's, I when I, I when I heard that as a kid, I groaned so hard, and here I am, that man, making that joke. Why they brought a car to a prayer meeting, I'm not sure. But um, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge the early church. So 
<laughs> Anyways, oh, that joke is so old and so bad. One accord. Thank you, King James Version, for giving us that word. Um, but yeah, unity. That's what we're talking about. Um, we heard it read earlier in the Gospel of John uh, that that's where we're going to spend some time. Um, so John is unique in a couple of different ways um, in how he highlights the kind of final night um, before Jesus goes to the cross. He features a couple of things that the other Gospels don't talk a lot about. One of them is this event where he washes the feet of the disciples. So it's this upper room event where he bends down and he washes their feet and he goes into great length about that. Um, and then it moves from that to an extended teaching where it talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and other teachings. And then it concludes with uh, this prayer for the disciples and the prayer for us. So from uh, chapter 13 all the way to 17 is often referred to as the upper room discourse or the upper room conversation. And it's unique to John. He really wants people to understand that there are things that took place that we need to know. So this is where we find ourselves, uh, is at the end of this upper room conversation where Jesus is now praying for all of the believers. So that's kind of where we're going to spend our time, and we're going to take a look at the very end of it. It's kind of like the exclamation point. After everything he's, he's shown us and then taught and then prayed, and then right there at the very end of that prayer is this prayer that we're going to focus in on. And it speaks about unity. So we're going to explore kind of what's the task of unity? Like, what's its purpose? What's its role uh, to be served? Then we're going to kind of feature and look in a little bit at the, what's the bad news? What's the problem? What's the, even what's the problem with unity? Um, as well as what's um, the challenge there? And then we're going to look at the good news that we have and then the outcome. So it's something that we can look forward to. Um, let me pray. Father, uh, we humbly approach your scripture. Uh, we know that Jesus prayed this prayer for a reason, that everything he did, everything he said is filled with life and truth. Help us not to dismiss it or ignore it. Uh, we find life and joy through your guidance and instruction. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Uh, we say yes to you today. In your name, amen. So, uh, Jesus is hours away from going to the cross. Um, hours away from being uh, taken uh, and locked up and beaten, tortured, and then going to the cross. And so he's here at this moment. Uh, Judas has already run off to betray him. Uh, Peter has just kind of arrogantly announced that he would never betray Jesus. Earlier in that same day, um, some of his other close friends, James and John, these two brothers, they come up and they say, hey, so which one of us is going to get the better seat when the kingdom comes? Like, like what kind of power are you going to give us and authority? And they're kind of bickering among themselves who gets the place of honor. So he has all of this happening, and now we find him here. And out of all of that, what, would, what might you expect Jesus to actually be praying for? I sometimes wonder, Lord... <laughs> What would he have actually, what would I have been praying if I was, if I was in his situation? Um, maybe because of his fast approaching death, he'd be praying about um, his own safety or his own protection. But no, he is praying about the disciples and us living in unity. 
For some reason, Jesus believes unity is really, really important. So let's dive into this passage of Scripture uh, to see what we can discover. So you can either take out your Bibles or you can take the sermon notes that I was luckily able to print. I had some printing issues earlier this morning and it just wouldn't print. And then I was like, oh no, my battery is almost going to die in my computer. But here it is. Um, so you can use that as, uh, as a guide if you want. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time looking in there. So yeah, turn with me to John 17. Um, and then there we go. So here we go. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in, the, believe in me through their message. Now, we'll just pause right there really quickly. Um, and if you want, underline all who will ever. The reason I'm saying to do that is um, this is one of those unique passages that is actually written for us. Like, specifically and intentionally. Like, it is for all who will believe in the message that the disciples uh, share. So, underline that. This is for us. We can't escape this passage. Jesus is praying for us. So, we have that. Um, And then, we continue on. Um, And it says that, I... Let me get myself straight here. I will... Okay, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Uh, If you want, feel free to circle the word just. Because what's really interesting here is the kind of unity Jesus is talking about is the unity that reflects who God is. So he's asking, he's praying that they will be one just as you and I are one. Father, just as I and you are one and we are together, my prayer is that their unity would look like that. That's a tall order. That's really difficult. Um, So that's kind of where we're at. And then we'll continue on. I can even picture um, of Jesus kind of saying this prayer. He's petitioning the Father and he just prays, Father, I have just this one prayer for the believers, um, like who are going to come after my disciples. I just pray that they would be unified, that you would unify them, bring them together in deep love, uh, a genuine care and devotion to the other, a commitment to serving before leading, just as I demonstrated to them. All right, then we continue on, and may they be in us. And then I left a blank there, and you can put in the word why. why. Why does this matter? What is this all about? And so the task that shows us is really, it's that unity reveals truth. Because what's the next thing that we see in that passage? It says, so that the world will believe you sent me. That the world will believe. Uh, I can picture Jesus again praying. I pray this because without their unity, the world cannot believe that I came from you. The world will never see the truth if the church is in disunity. Let me just say that again. The world will never see the truth uh, if the church is in disunity. So, So why unity? Why is it critical? It's so that the world will believe that the Father sent Jesus. And that's crazy to me. I'll be honest. I can think of so many reasons why disunity 
or why unity is not necessary for people to still hear about Jesus and for Jesus to be made real to the world. But here Jesus is being really clear that this is important, that the task of unity is so that the world will believe that you sent me, that Jesus was sent by the Father. Um, You could skip down if you want, down to verse 23, um, and then it's kind of a bit more of an expanded version, and it says, um, "I I am in them and you are in me, May they experience such perfect unity um, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I kind of just wrote down there like task one and task two. Task one is being that that the world will know that you sent me and that task two is that they would recognize that you love the church so that they they will be able to not only see that Jesus is revealed, because of unity, but they're also going to see how deeply God loves his people. And that's uh, these two great tasks that are put in front of us. So when I thought about this and when I reflected on this, I kind of came across there's a bit of a problem. Here's the challenge. Is Jesus actually saying that for the world to see him and believe in him, we, his followers, have to be as one? Because that's a tall order. I'll be honest. When I look at myself, when I think about my life and the way I act, and if the world can only see Jesus through my acts of of unity, um, that leaves the world in an interesting place. So the stakes are high. Without unity, the church cannot fully represent Jesus to the world, period. We can't. So this is serious stuff. This isn't just something we hear on Sunday and say, okay, well, that's kind of disposable. I'll put that in my life or I won't put that in my life. Um, Jesus is too amazing. Like his kingdom is too beautiful. Uh, The salvation that he has is too urgent for this world for us to not dismiss the call to unity. This good news is revealed through a church, through the church that is passionately one, speaking with one voice in unison. And it proves, it proves the love of the Father to his people. And it is so deeply attractive. Um, If you want, you can kind of zoom back to John 13. If you want, you can flip it in your Bibles, but um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But what we have is we have a picture of Jesus bending down and washing the feet of his disciples. And then in John 13, he says this very clearly. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus has already modeled this act of humility and grace. He's washed their feet, a dirty, humbling role, and then he calls out to them, love one another, do this. It is a command to love each other as Jesus loved us, And as we love, we become unified. 
They're not the same thing, but they are intimately connected. You can't really have one without the other. Unity is a visible marker that love is in the house. Um, and yes, as individuals, we can show. So, like, I know some of you might be thinking, like, but, like, I can still reveal the nature of Christ through my own actions. It's true. As an individual, I could go and I could meet people and we could, um, I could share the love of God to them and they could, they could come to know Jesus and they could be so excited and so transformed by that. But then the question is, is as they continue to develop as Christians, eventually we introduce them to our brothers and sisters in the church. And then what happens? Or they then are sitting there attending, or they're in the pews, and then they get into leadership, and then what happens? So it's, it's not just from the initial stage, it's the whole picture of what it means for us to be called um, into unity. Um, Mark, Mark 3, uh, 20 to 26, has this great story that I think will help um, illustrate kind of the challenge. Uh, so then, then Jesus entered a house. I'll just read this for you. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, uh, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So it's this really strange event where Jesus is doing great work, and then these good people are saying, or not good people, these other people are saying, he's doing that by the power of Satan. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in this parable. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Jesus could have responded to that situation in a lot of different ways, but he chose to highlight a moral law. It doesn't just apply to the people of God. It applies to all situations. Anything divided against itself eventually will crumble. Any kingdom, family, church, any anything weaken until the point of crumbling. Unity isn't optional. Um, there is something about division that automatically weakens a community. It's like termites that get into the furniture and eventually you're sitting on it and it just collapses on you. Um, so what's the bad news? Disunity destroys our witness. We're stuck in it. Um, it destroys our witness. Have you ever been on a sports team and there's like this one or a couple of people that are just so talented they think they can do the team on their own? and that they, they can just run it, and there's disunity and discord, it doesn't matter how good that one person is. It's better to have a less um, like successful team or a less um, skilled team that's in unity. You're going to get way further with a team that's unified than just a team that's disunified, has no unity, and there's that one great player. It's so critical for us to realize this. So this is a huge challenge. A house divided cannot stand. Um, we are called to unity, and yet, wow, it's really hard. Um, because here's the other point. Unity is the enemy of pride and selfishness. So it's kind of a bit of like a negative way, like a reverse way of thinking about it. But for me, it was helpful. Unity is the enemy of my self-will. 
And so for me to live in unity, I have to give up myself. I have to be willing to let go of some of my way, some of my ideas, some of what I think is best. I have to be willing um, to surrender that. And in my own strength and my own efforts, unity really is impossible. We really can't do it on our own. So this is the problem. We find ourselves in a problem. God has this high calling for us to model him in unity. And then we find ourselves, it's really hard. How in the world do we actually do this? How do we actually take hold of unity? And here's the great thing. Here's such, such good news. It's a gift. Unity is actually a gift that comes out of God's glory. Um, we see it in the passage here uh, that I skipped over. I have given them the glory you gave me. Why? So they may, may be one as we are one. God gives us gift Gift after gift after gift. Unity comes as a gift. Um, it comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes to us as we encounter the living God. When our sin is exposed and we see ourselves as who we truly are, broken, weak, confused, selfish, and yet in all of that, Christ walks across the room, sits beside us in the pew and says, I still love you. I, will, I forgive you. I'm here for you. And as soon as our identity is attached to the love of the Father, as soon as we see the glory of the Father, everything changes because our identity is attached to Him. We're not trying to earn our status from proving how smart we are or how right we are or how, you know, we're not people-pleasing, we're not worrying about things. Our identity is anchored in God. And when it's anchored in God because of the glory He shows us through the love of God, through the love of Jesus, everything shifts in our hearts And we're able to be freed from our fears and our selfishness and from the enemy of unity, the pride of our lives and our self-will, our desire to make our own course. Unity comes to us as a gift. The gift of salvation and the very loving, embracing presence of God reminds us that while we were still in disunity with God, he died for us. While my heart was divided and crumbling Jesus comes rushing into my life and restores me. No one else could do it, um, but Jesus did. The gift of the gospel makes me free to actually love people without requiring something in return. It's true. The gift of the gospel makes me free to actually love people without requiring something in return. So unity is hard, But by God's grace, it's possible. It truly is possible. It is possible because we are free to own up to our contribution to the problem. But it's impossible if we respond in fear of someone maybe betraying us or taking advantage of our honesty or our humility. It's impossible when we don't choose to see the image of God in our neighbor. It's impossible when we gossip and when we force our agenda without consideration of others. When my identity is secure in being a son of God, I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to have my way be, my, be the way. I don't have to be right. I have space to seek first to understand before being understood. 
And when that happens, unity starts to flourish. Love abounds. And it is such good news. It's such good news. And he's never done with us. That's the other cool part. The other good news is that if you skip all the way down into verse 26, it says this, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. God is not done revealing his love and his generosity, his forgiveness into your life. He's not done. And because he's not done, he's going to continue to fight for us to discover and encounter the beauty of unity. So it's not like it was one time thing that if you, you like ex- encountered the love of God years ago and now things have gone sideways and it's, no, it's possible even today. Jesus is continuing to reveal the love of the Father to us. He's not going to give up on us. He will not quit on fighting for our unity because it's for his glory, right? It's not just for us. This is for his namesake, right? He has something to prove to the world and he's doing it through us. And he's not going to let that fail. And so it's, we have this gift where we can participate with what God is already doing. Um, we're coming up to the video time. I wasn't sure. Do you know if the kids are coming back? They are, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, uh, and so that's some, one of those things that's just so vital and so important for us. Um, and now here's the exciting part, is when you actually look at the outcome of unity. So if disunity crumbles and it breaks things down, if unity is the enemy of self, then on the opposite side, um, unity is something so powerful and that creates so much momentum for God's kingdom to be revealed. Um, It's hard. It's convicting. A lot of times we don't know even how do we begin the process of unity. And that's something that we're actually going to look at through the month of November. Um, We're going to explore what does it mean for us to reconcile, to make things right, so that we can be a people of unity. Um, So we're going to play this video now. um, And I love this video clip. Um, It's a great illustration of what happens when we commit to unity, when we commit to being as one. Um, When we're scattered, when fear separates us, we see in the video just what happens. Um, when fear kind of causes us to scatter. But when we are as one, when we're unified, uh, there's great power. So we'll just watch this uh, little video clip. Nemo? Nemo? Tori?
You're right. I know you can. Look at them! Now go! Hurry! Well, you heard my son? Come on! Dory, you have to tell everybody to swim down together! Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Swim down! And there is so much truth locked up in what we just saw. That uh, the father had to risk losing his son because his son knew the way. If he could just convince the rest of the fish to swim down that they would be all right. And all of these panicking fish scattered everywhere, having no power, no unity. And they're on their, their course is set to being destroyed. And that in that moment, all of a sudden, they start to catch a glimpse of what unity can do. And they just start swimming down. And then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. When fear is gone, and we serve the mission of God in unison, there is no machine the enemy can invent that will ever stop the church. There is nothing. We become a force of joy and of restoration of influence, a unified church can tackle injustice, can act with mercy, can impact its community. And so my questions for us that I'll leave with us today are simple. What are you willing to surrender to see this community become unified? Are you willing to give up your resentment, your rights, your pride, your fear? If you desire to surrender but don't know how to make that step, uh, feel free to talk to me after the service. Write me or Matt a note or text us or call us, and we would love to meet up with you. Or, have you ever experienced the gift of God's salvation and forgiveness in your own life? Would you like to experience that gift of salvation, if that's something that you've never done but you desire to? Please talk to me after, or text, or phone. When, let's do coffee. Turning from our sin and selfishness and saying yes 
to a life with Jesus is the most amazing gift you could ever receive. God calls us to live in unity, and it's truly possible because of his agenda in our lives, because of his grace in our lives. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we can't set a course of unity without you. Without you, we're a bunch of scattered fish swimming in all sorts of different directions. But Lord, when your son calls out to us, cries out, prays to you that we be as one, Lord, we ask that you help us to listen to that and take steps to make that happen. Because when we do, there is no machine of the enemy that can stop your church. And Lord, in unity, your love is shown. And I thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you for already beginning this work. I thank you that this community is a community of love. And we just ask for more of it. We ask for more unity. We ask for more reconciliation because we know that when we do that, there is so much room here for the stranger, for the person hurting and the person in need. Father, as the worship team comes and uh, we sing and worship you, I just pray that we together, Lord, would be able to sing to you and that we would be able to wrestle with the questions, what am I willing to surrender for the cause of unity? Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.